Okay. Red. Just red. None of this maroon, just red. Uh, if you've got a Bible there this morning, can you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? <laughs> Who's excited to be at church and know that they're going to talk about finance? Who's excited about that? A couple of people are. Well, let me start by saying I make no apologies about it. Uh, it's not natural. It's not something that... I've had to walk a journey myself to get to a place to be able to do this, but I really believe that God has said to us, this is what we need to hear at the moment. This is where we're at. And there's something in this for us as individuals, as a faith community. In a perfect world, here's a perfect church world for you. In a perfect church world, this is what your day looks, your week looks like, and this is what my week looks like. In a perfect church world. Every seven-day cycle, because of your love and passion for God, you cannot but help tell somebody about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody comes across your path, and you tell them about the death of Jesus. You tell them why he died. You tell them that he didn't stay dead, that he was resurrected on the third day. You tell them about the power of the Holy Spirit that's been sent down to indwell us, the power to follow God, the power to change, the power to become fully human the way God intended us to do. You're so passionate about God and so in love with God and so encapsulated by God that that is your primary passion. Just like Acts chapter 8, the Bible says when their livelihood was taken away from them, when uh, their businesses were taken away, when their families were uprooted because of the death of Stephen, that they scattered everywhere. And the Bible says that everyone that scattered, everywhere they went, they told people about Jesus. So in a perfect church world, that's what you and I are doing every week. But how many of you know that none of us are living in the perfect church world? In a perfect church world, you're going to go out there in the next seven days, you're going to hear about people who are sick, people who are maimed, people who need healing. And when you hear about that, you're going to think, wow, I know one that can heal. I know the King of kings and Lord of lords. I know the power of God. And I know that if I give God an opportunity, God likes to glorify himself. So I'm going to step into that space. I'm going to say to that guy with a sniffle in the desk behind me, hey, mate, guess what? I noticed you've got a bit of a sniffle. Well, I know a guy that can cure sniffles. I know a guy that can cure um, broken arms. I know a guy that can fix that back problem. And would you let me pray for you? Because I'm going to pray and give God a chance to glorify himself because he likes to do that. That's in a perfect church world. But how many of you know that you and me this week, we didn't live in a perfect church world? In a perfect church world, I see a person struggling. And I I know that there is two dimensions in this world. There's a natural, there's a, a spiritual. And I know in that spiritual dimension, there are two powers at work. There's the power of God and there's the power of this being the Bible called Satan. I know that God wants to bring life to me, an abundant life. I know the devil wants to steal, kill and destroy. And I know that he's working in the world and I know he's doing things and I see it in my perfect church week. And when I see those things, I also realise I've been given power and authority in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and I can step into spaces and bring God into those spaces and I can pray for those chains to be broken, those shackles to be broken. I can just step out in faith, give God an opportunity to glorify himself because he likes to do that. That's in a perfect church world. But how many of you know this week you and I didn't live in that perfect church world? Now, because we don't live in a perfect church world, we need two things to make a difference in our community. We need people. And I just mean bottoms on seats. For a church to be impactful, for us to do what we need to do, we need people that have time. People that will take some time, people that will serve, people that will give a bit of their own um, uh, precious resource called time and energy. And the second thing we need is we need finance. 
Now, what does that faith community do with that time and that finance? Well, here's what we do. We get together and we do those things that maybe we would love to do in that perfect church world by ourselves, but we don't do in that perfect church world by ourselves, so we get together and we do things together. We create spaces. We, we, we get uh, barbecues. We do community barbecues, or we do uh, things where we try to outreach into the community, where we go out together, and maybe we mow lawns, and maybe we clean windows, maybe we do stuff uh, like that. And, and, and when we get together, how many of you know that when you're uh, together with a group of people, sometimes that provides you that little bit of extra boldness? to say that thing that otherwise by yourself you might not have said. Or to step out in faith in that little area where maybe by yourself you may have held back, you may have, uh, have not put it out there maybe that you're a believer, but because you're with a group of people, you're, you're maybe a little bit more bold, a little bit more courageous and encouraged to step into spaces. So we do things together. So churches, to impact the community and to do things, here's the reality, God needs finance and people. I mean, I think about the very person of Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus came to earth, he gathered people. He invested heavily into these 12 disciples. But how many of you also know that one of those guys was a treasurer? His name was Judas. He wasn't a great treasurer, but he was a treasurer nonetheless. And God, Jesus, had a treasurer. How many of you know that Jesus had finance and financial needs and things that he did with that finance. Uh, Luke chapter 8 tells us the story of how Jesus uh, went about healing. And then it says there was a group of ladies, specifically mentions women. It says they were touched by Jesus. There was one whom a demon came out of. There was another one. And it lists these names of these, these women who had been impacted by the gospel and the ministry of Jesus. As a result, they went around with him. And the Bible actually says, Luke chapter 8, they funded his ministry. They provided finance for the work that he did. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus Christ with all power and all authority still needed people and still had needed finance, then I think it's fair to say that in today's church world, the two things that any church or movement or ministry need are people and finance. And you know what? I feel a little relaxed about that saying that because I think, well, if Jesus needed that, then it's okay. I don't feel so bad standing up here in front of you and talking about those two needs because if we want to impact our community, that's what we need. We need people with time, energy, passion to put into things and we also need finance to gather the equipment, to gather the things, to go to the places, to do things and to do things really, really well. So I want to start by saying this. There's a couple of reasons why um, it's okay to talk about finance in church. One of them is because Jesus himself needed finance. So if Jesus needed finance, then it's actually okay to think that maybe we might need a bit of finance as well uh, to do the things that God's called us to do here. I've got a couple of other facts I've written down here about finance. I'm saying this because as soon as I say money or finance or church, I know that so many of us put walls up. And I know that because I do it. I do it. And I've had to go on a journey to, to remove those things and to realise that, you know what, why do I put a wall up when somebody talks about money in church? You can talk about sin in church and I don't put a wall up. You talk about healing in church, I don't put a wall up, even if I don't believe in a, in a God that heals. You can talk about uh, grace in church, you can talk about anything in church, but for some reason this issue of finance or money, it's almost like we're stepping, okay, as a church, as a pastor, as a preacher, you're stepping over the boundaries now. I can talk to you about your marriage. I can give you advice about how to raise your kids. But if I mention the word finance, it's almost like that finance is more sacred than your marriage. You protect, we protect the realm of money more than we protect pretty much any other realm. It's not our fault. It's the world we live in. Because we've been brainwashed to think that that paycheck, that amount of finance, that thing that comes into your... That, that's your sustenance. That's your survival. 
That's how you make a life. That's how you get ahead. I think it was Winston Churchill once who, who made this statement. He said, "You, you don't." He said, "You, you, 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 you make a. You don't make a life by getting, but you make a life by giving." What was that quote? Somebody, somebody here smarter than me. I know you are. It just came back to me just then. You make a, you make a living by getting, but you make a life by giving. You make a living by getting, but you make a life by giving. But here's some facts. Here's some things I want you to see before we launch into this, because we're going to spend uh, probably three, four weeks on this. So I want to lay a little bit of a foundation this morning and, and maybe pull down a few of those walls and a few of those things. It's not just going to be me. We've got a few other people speaking over the next few weeks. But we're talking about finance, and I know that it brings things up inside of people. So I want to try to pull a few things down first, calm the sea a little bit, so when the other guys stand up, the walls are maybe half down and they can, God can begin to penetrate and speak to us. There are 38 parables in the New Testament. 16 of those parables deal with finance or use finance as the illustrative point. 38 parables, 16 of them, revolve around money and finance. In the New Testament, one out of 10 verses in the New Testament, one in every 10 deal with money or possessions. That's a lot of talk about money and possessions. This is New Testament. In the Bible, there are 500 verses, around 500 verses on prayer. There's less than 500 verses on faith, but there's over 2,000 verses on finance and prosperity. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible on finance and prosperity. Isn't it funny? We don't want to talk about it, yet there seems to be so much about it in the Word of God. And I wonder if there's a correlation there. We don't want to talk about it, yet God seemed to want to talk a lot about it because I think it has a lot to do with revealing the state of our heart, where our trust is, where our source is, where our value is maybe. There's something about finance and possessions that digs into our heart and when we talk about it, maybe some of that stuff gets shaken and rattled up a little bit. Jesus, we just spoke about had people that followed him around. Acts, uh, Luke 8, 1 to 3. Many others who provided for him from their substance. And he even had a treasurer, Judas. You know, I used to be one of those people that was offended uh, at, at money talk at church. I've, I've, I've been that journey and I'm still on that journey. But I'm probably, the, I'm probably the poster boy for Christians who are offended at finance talk in church. If there's a poster boy for that, you're looking at him. I was the poster boy for that. But I, I realised something recently, really, really funny thing. I went and had, um, I had uh, lunch actually. Me and Troy had lunch together this week. And we, w- we went to the place we were going to have lunch. And it was really interesting what Troy said. We were heading towards this place. And Troy looked up at the place we went to have lunch. He looked at it and he goes, look at that. I went, what? And he goes, they're just after your money. No, he didn't. But guess what? The place where we went for lunch, guess what? They were just after our money. They were literally just after my money. Do you really think whether the person in there, on their mind when they woke up in the morning, is I cannot wait to give food and sustenance to those people that have come on in. I can't wait to make it just beautiful. And my main goal, my driving force is I just want to make sure. Do you think that the people that invented KFC, their vision is I just want everyone to taste the Colonel's secret herbs and spices? I just... I mean, so much so that we're going we're gonna to give the stuff away. Now, we're going to lower the price. It's silly season at KFC. Zingerburgers for a dollar. eBay. Do you think the person that thought up eBay, this online thing, do you think their driving motivation 
when they built this business and then put it on the stock market. The whole driving thing was, I just can't wait to connect you with the person over in Zimzababi or wherever and you can buy a pearl necklace for 33 cents with free postage. I just want to do that. I just want to be, make the world a better place by making shopping cheaper and easier. That's the goal, the motivation. Or do you think maybe they just want your money? Maybe someone had a business idea and thought, hey, let's put this idea out there. There's a bit of a niche market, but at the end of the day, we need this thing to succeed. We want to get money off you because we want to line our pockets. We want a better life for ourselves. We also now have this thing called share market and shareholders. We've got to make sure the shareholders are happy by making sure the profits are up. It's funny. I walk past KFC and I don't hear anyone go, they're just after your money. McDonald's, they're just after your money. You walk past Suzanne Gray or wherever you ladies shop at, I've never seen a lady go, they're just after your money. Us husbands are smart enough to know that. We know it. That's why we keep you from the sale signs in Southwick. You look at there and you walk in and we go, oh no, they're just after your money. We know it, they're just after your money. But when we talk about finance in church, they're just after your money. Where does that come from? I don't see that mentality anywhere else in life, yet I was the poster boy of people going, the church is just after your money. So don't you dare talk about finance when I'm there, because the minute they begin to talk about it, the walls went up, the clamped down on the 25 cents, if I was lucky, I had in my pockets, you know. Um, It's a silly thing. Where does it come from? Well, here's the thing. I don't have that mentality and I don't care too much about that when I'm going to KFC. I'm happy to give them $11.95 for my bacon and cheese Zinger burger meal. Even though I know that it's going to taste good for 30 seconds, in about five minutes it's going to burn like you wouldn't believe. And then I'm just going to feel bloated and ugly for the rest of the day. But you know what I'll do? I'll drive past and I'll go in there again and again. It's like they're offering... Bin we have at the back, I just keep walking in there and just chucking in the money, chucking in the money, chucking in the money, and it's doing me no benefit, doing me no good. But I keep on doing it. These guys are out there, and let's be real, I'm not picking apart at business, by the way. Business is, business is a gift, and if you're good at it, go for it, and if you're in business, make money. That's why you're in it. If this is not a slur on businesses or business people. This is the way I look at it. I don't have a problem doing that and building somebody's business, putting money into somebody's business or lining the pockets of a shareholder. I don't have a problem doing that and I don't even think twice about it. But why do I think things like that when it comes to finance in the church? I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, uh, just after he's spoken to the Philippian church about this big offering that they've taken up. Here's what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I'm taking up this offering. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hand out and I'm saying, there's a need, there's ministry to be done and we need finance to do it. I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of it. But here's what he says. I'm not giving you the opportunity to be a part of it to, to feed to my shareholders. I'm not giving you an opportunity to be a part and to give to me so that I can take that money and get a bigger car or a bigger house. I don't get a percentage increase on the more money that comes in. He's saying, you know what, the pure motivation as to why I want you to give is this, because I know something that right now you're probably not enacting or not living by, something you're not understanding, and it's this, that when you give, it releases something back into your world. Paul says, I I don't want the gift, but I want fruit that abounds to you. In other words, when you give, something good's going to happen to you. Something good is going to happen to you. When you're a generous person, something good happens to you. 
Now, it's, it's a little bit like, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, uh, the, the story in the Old Testament, I think it's uh, is, is, uh, uh, Elisha, a, a, or Elijah, and, and there's a lady there and she's baking this cake. You know, all know the story in Kings, she's baking cake. And, and, and the prophet comes by and goes, what are you doing? She says, well, actually, I'm baking a cake to eat it and I'm going to die. Wow. Good morning to you. <laughs> How's your day? Well, baking a cake. Uh, it's like Eeyore off Winnie the Pooh. Well, I'm going to bake a cake. Me and my son going to eat it, then we're going to die. Oh, well, you know. And what does he do? He doesn't sit down with her and go, no. Come on, can I pray for you? You're joking. Look, don't do that yet. I know some great organizations are going to go and hook you up with a brother down the road. Or He doesn't do any of that. He goes, really? Well, I'll tell you what. Bake that cake, but give it to me. I'll eat it. How does that sound? How do you feel if you hear I read that story and you go, that's just bizarre. But you know what? That's what I feel like when I talk about money. Because I know there are people here and you probably feel like that lady going, oh, well, I've just got three bucks in the bank yet. I'm going to go and buy a... <laughs> what can you buy for three bucks these days? I'm going to go and buy three Hungry Jacks Slappies for a dollar. I'm going to drink my Slappies. I'm going to go and die. Life's over. I can't... Get... Not going anywhere. And, 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 and you can feel like that. But I think if Elijah had the courage to stand up and the faith to know that, hey, you give me that cake, something good's going to happen to you. You hand that over, something good's going to come back into your life because there's something, there's a blessing when we are generous people. I'm not just talking about finance. We're talking specifically about finance here, but I'm talking about generous of heart, period. Generous people find things bouncing back upon them. Generous people, there's this bounce back effect with generous people. Generous people. And God wants us to be a generous people. It's okay, we understand that I'm happy to be generous with my, with my compliments. I'm happy to be generous uh, with my joy. It's easy to be generous with my time. Again, when it comes to my money though, there's just this little thing that goes, oh, hold back a little bit. That's my space, don't go there, don't touch it. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to go there and we're going to touch it. And let me encourage you, if you feel a bit uncomfortable or you don't understand something being said, come up, grab me, bring your Bible, let's have a look, let's talk. But please don't get offended, put your walls up and go, I'm never coming back again. There could be a tremendous breakthrough waiting for you at the end of these next few weeks if you just open up your heart and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Here's a, here's a fact. Our salvation wasn't given to us just to get through life. Who believes with that? Who agrees with that? Our salvation was not given to us just to get through life. We're actually called to make a difference on the way. Amen? We're called to make a difference on the way. A little bit like The Littlest Hobo. Anyone seen that show, The Littlest Hobo? Remember that little dog who used to go into town and there'd be a, a husband and wife? Anyone remember that show? Or am I talking too far forward back? Little Hobo, this little dog, he was just a dog. And he used to go on into these towns and he'd, he'd go into a town and he'd see a mum and dad having a fight and the little kid crying in the back of a car and he'd go and sit down next to him and he'd just go... <laughs> the next thing you know, they were in love again and they lived happily ever after. Just because this hobo came through and he just sat there... <laughs> and then the next episode, he'd be walking into a new town, there'd be a guy sitting at a bar drinking himself stupid because he, he'd ruined his life and made a bad business deal and lost his family and Little Hobo would just go and sit there... <laughs> And next thing you know, he's a millionaire again and living life and his kids love him. And the hobo, everywhere the hobo went, he made a difference. I don't know how he did it, 
But everywhere the little hobo went, he made a difference as he passed through a town. And that's a little bit of a picture, I think, of us. We're meant to be making a bit of a difference to the world we're in as we pass through that world. We're called to make a difference in the spaces that we are. Now, I want to take you to a verse, and I want you to just stick with me for a second because I think it tells us a lot about the heart of God for us. It's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And here's what it says. Paul, writing to the different groups of people that are in the Ephesian church, and here's what he says. We got that on the screen there, guys? I didn't give them any verses, so it's not their fault. It's... Ephesians 4, 28, read this. Let him who stole steal no longer. Who thinks that's good advice? Is that a word to the Lord for anyone here? Anyone? No? Okay, just checking. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour. Is that good advice? So if you're a thief and you're stealing, it's great advice not to steal. Amen? That's the word of the Lord for you today. If you've got a thieving problem, uh, don't steal. Put the letters back, Tim. Um, rather let him labour. Let him labour. If you don't work, if you, if you just sit around doing nothing with your life, uh, let me encourage you. That's the word of the Lord to you. Be productive. Find a job. If you don't have a job, try to find one. If you can't find a job, still do something. Don't sit at home watching TV all day, drinking cups of tea. Do something. Go and tend your garden or just move yourself. Go and do something productive. Work with your hands. What is good? Do something that's productive and that contributes to society. Uh, Watch this. That he may have something to give him who has need. Now let me say that again. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. If you steal, don't steal, but that's not the focus of the verse. It's not the focal point of the verse. If you're not labouring, labour, but that's not the focus that Paul's making here when he's speaking to these people. Work with your hands. Here's the focal point. He says, I need you to do all that because here's the end goal I'm heading for. The end result is this. I want you to have something to give to others who don't have something. I want you to have enough in your existence, in your possession. I want you to have enough that when you come across somebody in need, you have more than enough and you can help meet the needs of other people. You can help meet the needs of other situations and other circumstances. Don't steal. Get a job because I want you to have enough, not just for you, but I actually want you to labour and have enough so that you can not just simply be uh, maybe a part of the problem. If you're stealing and not labouring, you're part of the problem. If you stop stealing you start labouring, then you're kind of no longer part of the problem, but you're still not a part of the solution. But if you work hard and you trust God and you live by his principles and you get yourself in a position where you have more than enough, now you're no longer part of the problem, you're actually part of the solution. And God's called us to be a part of the solution. We're called to be part of the solution. Have something to give him who has nothing. The focal point is not me, it's somebody else. You see, here's the thing. If you're like me, this is what I used to think. My prayer used to be, God, just give me enough. Just make sure I can pay my bills. God, just make sure I can, I can feed my family. Make sure I can do the things that I have to do. And, then, and this was my prayer, and I called it humility. That's what I call it. It's being humble. It's being honest. It's being real before God. The truth is, I believe when I reflect back on that, I didn't mean it to be. I wasn't wicked or evil, but it was a pretty selfish prayer. God, just give me enough for me. Just take care of my needs. Just, take, just, just give me enough so that I'm not in want. Give me enough so that I can do the things I want to do, have the things I need to have and so on. Give me enough to feed my family, to look after my family. But yet, Paul's saying here, that's not the goal. The goal is to get yourself into a position where you have enough to help out somebody else. Because I might be able to feed my family tonight, but my neighbour might not be able to. 
I might be able to, to fix my car if it breaks, but I might know someone that doesn't have the capacity to get their car fixed and therefore they can't get to work. There are so many needs and so many things out there that if I don't have more than enough, if I only simply have enough, enough is about me, more than enough is about others. And God's saying here, my will for you is not as a church, as individuals and as as a faith community, that you would be in a place of just having enough. I actually want you to have more than enough. Because when you have more than enough, you can do the things that I'm calling you to do. When you've just got enough, then you can't feed the poor. If I've just got enough, then I can't do anything really more than say, oh, gee, isn't that terrible? Let me pray for you. But we're called to more than that. I think it's very clear that God wants us to have more than enough. I go back to the story of the prodigal son. And I love that story. The Bible says that the son did his stuff, got his inheritance, ran away, wasted it all, came back. But when he came back, he's feeding pigs and he has this epiphany. And here's what he says. He says, what am I doing here feeding pigs? Even my father's hired helpers are treated better than this. Even those slaves and servants have enough food for themselves and more than enough to spare. This is what he says. He says, these hired servants of my father, they don't just have enough for themselves. He says, their life is so much better than where I am right now. They've got not just enough for themselves, but they've got more than enough to spare. There was something attractive that drew him back to his father when he saw a group of people that had more than enough to spare. They looked after, this master looked after them. He provided for them. There's something about their provider, something about their master. Look at their life. I'm not talking about bigger houses and more cars and so on. I'm talking about having the capacity to have more than enough to help out somebody other than just simply myself. That's what God wants of us. God wants us to be people that believe him for more than enough. Do you ever get that impression when you read the words of these writers and you read about the God they're talking about? I just keep on, when you read these, I keep reading about this God who is actually more than enough. Not just enough, but he's actually more than enough. This God is more than enough. And I think he wants us to approach him and understand that the God we serve is not just a God of enough. He meets just my needs. Look, he meets your needs, but he goes above and beyond that. He wants to go beyond that because he wants you now to be his hands, his feet. He wants you to start to meet the needs of other people. God wants us to believe in and trust in a God who is a God of more than enough because that's who God is. Second Corinthians, I'll, I'll, I'll breeze through this, go through quick as we can. I just want to lay a bit of a foundation for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, reading through to verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Paul is speaking specifically about finances. Now, I know sowing and reaping has copped a really bad gig. I'll be the first one to say it. And it's one of the reasons why I hate talking about finance in church. But can't, I can't throw the baby out with the bathwater every time somebody takes the truth of God and twists it and takes it to an extreme. I wouldn't even read out of this book if that was the case. Because there's not a truth in here that hasn't been distorted and twisted and left a sour taste in somebody's mouth. So let's forget all that stuff. Let's go back to what the book says. In 2 Corinthians 9, he's dealing specifically with finances. Go back and read the start of the story, the start of 2 Corinthians 9. He's dealing with finances. He is. He says this, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And actually, in the Greek, that's the word hilarious. It's where we get our modern-day word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. How many of you, when you, when you walk up to that thing in the morning, you put it in and you go, <laughs> I haven't heard it once. 
Like, <laughs> do I have to do this? <laughs> really? Can we talk about this? Keep it. Keep it. It's not a law. Keep it. Because God wants us to give with a good attitude. He wants us to be generous people, give with a good attitude. Let me tell you a little story about me. You might find this hard to believe. Once upon a time, I was not as stylish as I am right now. I know. Shock horror. Shock horror. Once upon a time, I was a bit of a dag. Let me tell you something. <laughs> once upon a time. I said once upon a time, right? Don't you laugh. Because you are exactly like me when you were, I was your age, right? We could be cloned. Clowned. Once upon a time, I used to go shopping. You know what I'd do? I'd buy a pair of jeans and I wouldn't want to spend any more than, say, five bucks. If it was more than five bucks, it was a rip-off in my opinion. So I'd spend five bucks on a pair of jeans. But you know what I found? That pair of jeans was not very valuable to me. That pair of jeans wasn't going to be comfortable. It was going to be pretty stiff. It was going to fall apart in about three weeks. So I begrudgingly handed over my $5 to get my pair of jeans. I did it with a bad attitude. It wasn't hilarious. I wasn't laughing all the way. You know, hey, I got my jeans. I was begrudging. Then I met this lady here called Jackie. And Jackie introduced me to this thing called quality. Quality. It's the Hebrew word for expensive. (laughs) Now, she introduced me to this thing called quality. And so what's happened now is I I can go now, but I've learned something through that. These jeans I'm wearing right now, they're pretty classy. I bought them for $50, I think they were, about 50 bucks. Once upon a time... I would have knocked myself out with an uppercut on the way to the register. I would not have let myself pay for that. But $50 I paid for these jeans. They're comfortable. They're great. I don't mind telling people about them. I put them on. I wear them all the time. They'll probably last me a few years unless I keep expanding in the waistline. Um, But you know what? Here's the thing. When I paid for those jeans, I didn't do it begrudgingly. I didn't do it with a with a a, a terrible feeling or a sad look on my face. I notice when I buy things nowadays, because she's taught me the value of quality, when I pay for things, I'm actually quite cheerful and quite happy to hand over that money. And here's the thing, I'm happy to hand over the money because the quality of what I'm investing in and what's coming back is worth it. When 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 I'm giving to something that I do not value, that I don't think is quality, I, I, don't, I begrudgingly, you know, I heard a preacher once say, say, sow it, don't throw it. Anyone ever heard that? Sow it. They used to pass the plates around. He goes, sow it, don't throw it, you know. I'd throw it. Because <laughs> I think, well, that's gone. Can't get that back. See, I didn't understand the spiritual dimension. I didn't understand that God's ways are not my ways. I didn't understand how ingrained in my thinking was the world's wisdom of finance and not God's wisdom of finance. So I don't give things grudgingly now. I don't pay for things grudgingly anymore because I see the quality and the value in those things. Keep, keep moving on that verse. And God is able, I want you to see this, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, now here's that more than enough thing again. That you always having all sufficiency in some things, always all sufficiency, all things. That sounds like a God of more than Enough. Are you reading the same page I'm reading? All sufficiency, all things, this is God. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have, what's it say? An abundance for some good things. Every good work. Here it is again. 
Paul's saying, here's the thing. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Whether you like it or not, Paul's saying there is a connection point between my generosity and God's abundance. There is a connection point somewhere there. So here's the thing. I'm a big believer of this. God doesn't just want to get things to me. He wants to get them through me. God doesn't want to just get stuff to me. He wants to get it through me. And when God finds people that he can get stuff through, he has a way of getting stuff too. Okay? God wants to get stuff through me. But he wants us to have all sufficiency in all things, and he wants us to have an abundance for every good work. That's the will of God for you and me. He wants you to have enough for every good work. And I love that part there that it says that God is able. Let me, let me, let me tell you this. You might get this in your paycheck per week. Who is your source? Who is your source? Who's getting that paycheck to you? Who are you looking at? Are you looking at your boss going, well, it all comes, he's the, stop, he's the plug in the top, it's all him. And he thinks I'm worth this and therefore that's the cap and that's it. And the only way I can get an increase maybe is if I you know, impress him, if I can, can, can make him like me more, if I can, you know. Where's your source? Is it the company you work for? The... I'm reading a verse here where Paul's saying to these people, here's the thing, so sparingly reap sparingly, so bountifully reap bountifully. And here's the thing, in your giving, I want you to understand something, that God is able to make all grace abound back to you so that you then have enough coming back to you that you can do another good work. Because what they were doing was they were doing a good work. And he's saying you give uh, and you be generous. And here's the way God works, is that he will make sure that that reciprocates back into your will. Because if you're a person that can get stuff through, he'll get it to you. If he can get it to you and he can get it through you, guess what? That's the cycle. It'll keep coming back to you, coming back to you. God is able to do this. Your boss might look and go crunch the numbers and go, I can't create more income for you. Your boss is not your source. God is your source. This church is not my source. I get a certain amount of income. Um, The board knows that. I, I, I don't get more. If you give more, by the way, I don't get more. I'm not on a percentage base. I'm not on a commission base. All right? So whether, whether, whether our giving goes up or down or sideways or whatever, I do not take more. This is not about anything to do with my personal benefit. But like Paul said, I'm not interested in, in your gift. I'm interested in the fruit that's going to come about in your life as you grab a hold of the generosity of God and you understand that if God is, if you can trust God with all these other areas of your life, then surely you can learn to trust God with finance. No matter what the world says, no matter what your boss says, no matter what the economy says, you can trust God. He's intricately interested in your financial world because he understands that life revolves around economies. It doesn't matter what planet you go to, uh, sorry, what country you go to, a planet, what planet am I on? It doesn't matter what country you go to, guess what? I don't care whether you're saved or you're not. Every economy revolves, uh, every society revolves around economies. And God knows that. So God's will is all sufficiency in all things for every good work. Enough's about you. More than enough is actually about others. But here's the thing. You can only give out of what you got. But that's the exciting thing. God doesn't just say to you, I want you to give to every good work. He says, I've got a plan. I've got a way by which I get stuff to you. And here is the clincher. Here's what I want to finish up with here. It's God is my source, not my employer, my bank balance, etc. Therefore, it's reasonably impossible to consider the fact that my generosity will end in lack. My God shall supply all my needs. Therefore, it stands to reason that if God wants, to give, God wants us to give something, then he must have a plan to get that something to us in the first place. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. 
Listen to what Paul writes. It says, now may he, who's he talking about? God. Now may he, he's talking about God. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Can I just get you to cut that open for me, please, Jack? I got a watermelon this morning. Big, juicy watermelon. People are sitting there salivating, going, hurry up and shut up, Alan, we want some watermelon. You'll get your watermelon in a second. Just cut that open for me, can you, please? Are you able to? You you got the muscle capacity? Oh, careful, please. Okay, I'm backing away. That's that's life in our kitchen if I get too close. Yeah, look at that. Hold that up. Why don't you have a look at that? There's two things in there, apart from the shell. There's this beautiful watermelon, juicy watermelon, exactly right. There's another thing in there. It's a seed. Now, you know what? In a perfect world, here's what we would be doing with that, in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world. But maybe we can start to create a little bit of a more perfect world than the one we currently live in, I mean. We would cut that open. We would eat that beautiful, juicy watermelon. And then we would take those seeds and we would plant those seeds in the ground. And what would those seeds do? They'd produce another crop, another watermelon. And what would we do with that watermelon? If we got that watermelon, we cut it open, we ate those beautiful, juicy watermelon. But what if we took those seeds and we went and we put those seeds in the ground and we sowed those seeds? This is what Paul is talking about. Now let me tell you something. That verse tells me something. It says that God supplies two things to me. He gives me bread for food. It's mine. I can eat it. I can do whatever I want with it. Be wise. I like to go needs and wants and prioritise your needs in life and so on. Don't be stupid. But he gives you bread for food. Isn't that exciting? It's yours. Do not feel guilty. Do not feel guilty about not putting that in a church offering or sending it off to someone. Don't feel bad about it. It's yours. Your father gave that to you as a blessing. He wants you to enjoy it. Save for another car. Get a, a Move to a better neighbourhood if you want to. Buy a bigger house. Save up for a holiday. Go on a cruise. Buy a Harley Davidson. Without any sort of guilt. Even though World Vision are going to put an ad on tonight and show a starving child, put it in your face. That's the world we live in, isn't it? It's the world we live in. It's, we motivate people with guilt or fear or whatever. Hey, no, no, no. It's, let's joyfully embrace that. Now, God's given us two things. One, he gives us bread for food, but he gives us another thing. Seed to sow. Seed to sow. And here's the problem, I believe. When we don't understand that part of what I have is seed to sow. If I'm fearful, if I don't trust God, you know what I do with my seed? I eat it. Just like I do the bread. And let me tell you this, because seed is what God multiplies. So when we eat the seed, then it's unable to do that which it was created to do. In other words, when we eat the seed, we kill its God-given potential for increase. I wonder how many of us here are eating seeds. 
wonder if there's anybody here and we're still eating the seed. And we wonder why we're not seeing increase in our world. Well, it's very clear. Go home today. I want you to do something. Go home today, get a piece of bread and get a seed. I want you to plant the bread in one pot. I want you to plant the seed in the other. I want you to see which one produces a beautiful crop. You don't have to plant your bread. You eat your bread. But you don't eat your seed. You plant your seed. You sow your seed. And that's what we're talking about here with finance. You see, God's way to get increased to me in that financial realm is to learn to embrace and understand. I get the best part of the deal here because there's more food than there is seed. I don't want to talk about tithing and 10%. And I'm not, I just want to say this unequivocally. When I get paid, part of that is bread, but I know part of that is seed. And I've got to get into the habit of sowing my seed back into good soil. And when I sow that seed into good soil, it produces a crop. Here's the thing. Let's imagine, for example, and I'm going to use an example. I'll finish up here. Use an example here, numerical example. Don't jump on it. Don't jump on it because I don't mean the numerical thing. But here's the thing. Let's imagine that you've got 10 bucks and say you want a tithe. Tithe literally means a tenth. Let's say you've got 10 bucks and you tithe $1. It's not a bad deal. You keep nine. You've got nine bits of bread and one seed. It's not bad. Who would think that's it? I think it's a fairly good deal. So... I take my nine bits of bread and I plant one seed. Well, if that one seed produces ten bits of bread or, or, or ten things, then I get to keep another nine of those and I've only got to re-sow one again. That's if I'm talking numerically. You know I'm not pushing it. I'm saying every time I put something in the ground, it produces more than I put in. And then I still just take that little bit of seed and I put it back in, but I get to keep... Can you see how over time I'm increasing... I'm increasing. Here's what the writer of Proverbs said, Proverbs 11.24. says, There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Imagine that. There's one who scatters, and it keeps multiplying, coming back. There's another one who withholds more than is right. It doesn't say it's wrong to withhold, It says you're withholding more than is right. In other words, it's fine to withhold a certain amount. But there's a certain amount of seed that God has given to you that you need to sow. To sow that seed means you've got to trust God with your finances. You've got to trust that God is interested in the financial realm. God is so into this that before 400 years of silence through a guy called Malachi, the Italian prophet, Malachi. The only Italian prophet in the Bible. Before 400 years of silence, one of the last things he says to the children of Israel is this, you're robbing from me. I don't want to jump on the tithe. I don't want to jump on old and new. I want to talk about this in a few weeks' time, so stick around. All I'm going to say is this. He said these words... And you won't find them in any other area of your life. He said, bring it all back. Come on, get generous again, people. Bring your tithes, bring your offerings. Come on, start sowing the seed. Stop eating it. Test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven. Sounds a lot like what Paul's saying here. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. Amen? Don't... Eat your seed. You will kill 
the God-given potential of that seed. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Father, for this, uh, Lord, great journey that we have been going on, um, Lord, this year. You've been taking us down a path, Lord, and it's exciting to look ahead at, at where we're heading and the potential that is, Father, here in this community, Lord, what you want to do, God, in our lives and through our lives. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, would you, Lord, would you seal in our hearts anything that the Spirit has said to us, God? It's a, it's a, it's a, God, it's an issue and a topic that the world is screaming advice at us, probably more than most other areas. It's telling us how we should feel, what we should do, where we should do it, what we should buy, where we should invest, where we should say. God, it's screaming at us. And yet, Father, you, you work in such a different way. It makes no sense that when we give, we get back. We're so used to kissing things goodbye. But yet, Lord, you give. You're a generous God. And you're also a great loving Father who will never let us go without, Father. You're a God that wants to bless us, that wants to, uh, Lord, give us more than enough, not so that we can be selfish, so that we can learn the principle of giving, receiving. We can learn the principle of meeting the needs of others, God, those around us, of the, the, the communities that you've placed us and so on, Father, that we'd be part of the answer and not continue to be part of the problem. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, seal in anyone's hearts today things you've been saying. Father, if there are challenges, questions, stirrings, Lord, I pray, give us wisdom not to just chuck the baby out with the bathwater, not to walk away with a fence. God, not to allow the enemy to walk in and say, oh, they're just after your money. God, I pray that you would just, just guard people's hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray over these next few weeks, continue to open us up to greater revelation, greater understanding, and a greater place of faith and trust that you are our Father, that we, you will never, God, when we live according to your word and your principles, you will never let us down. And Father, I pray for the next week, the next seven days, give everybody in this room the chance to tell somebody about Jesus, Lord, somebody out there in our community, in our work world, in our school, someone that doesn't yet know about the goodness of God. Give us that opportunity to step into that faith space and to tell someone about you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Uh, hang around. There's still some morning tea there. There's tea and coffee over there. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys hopefully on Thursday night at the prayer meeting. Be great to... Have you here? Like I said, uh, any questions, whatever. Now, I know there's a couple of people here and your bodies aren't treating you real well. You're feeling a bit sick and crook. I just want to open up the front, so we're going to hang around here. I'd love to pray for anybody. Sicknesses and pains and stuff in your body, we would love to lay hands on you and pray for you in obedience to what James said. If anyone's sick, call the elders of the church, lay hands, pray for them. Uh, if you're here today too and you feel like this message has stirred something in you, maybe you realise you're a bit like me, the poster boy. You're a bit resistant to this topic and so on. Look, I would love to pray with you and just pray that God, in his gentle way, would pull those walls down and open you up so that the next few weeks you can come with an open heart, excited, expecting to hear from God. So we'd love to pray with you. So bless you guys. Have a great week.